Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hi everybody and welcome back to Coffee and Geography. Um, I have been, and I've said this quite a few times with many guests and I about like I've been trying to get this person on the podcast for a while, but like really this is a person I followed for a, a while and I have such admiration for this wonderful human being and she's finally here. Jasmine Qureshi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And I feel like when you say you've been trying to get me for a while, it's mainly because I'm really hard to pin down (laughs) and I'm really hard to get, like, in terms of timings because people are, I don't know, people are always like, um, oh, you do so many things, how do you do it? And I'm like, (laughs) I am completely chaotic. I have the ability to plan of, like, a pair of scissors. I just can't. (laughs) I just can't do any like planning so it's just like that's why it's taken so long to get me on but I'm so honored that you that you've been following me and I've seen your work and I've just enjoyed it as somewhat obviously as like trans women I don't think we get to see a lot of this kind of Mm. like work that is like mutually from trans women it's usually like oh I admire you because you're a trans woman but I'm not you know and it's like to have a trans woman like admire you and then for you to admire them back is a really amazing thing, I think. So, like, yeah, I'm oh. super honoured to be here too. So, thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, we're getting already getting emotional. We've only just started. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but when you said about like being chaotic in your organisation, I, I was thinking, then I feel so seen. <laughs> it's like, people, people have the exact same thing with me. It's like, Kit, how do you do all this stuff? I'm like. I don't. I'm just chaos. It, it, and mostly it is probably because of ADHD. It's mostly a case yeah. of procrastinate, 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 procrastinate. Get 500 things done in an hour, you know? It's and it's like. It's that, definitely ADHD. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's, we can use it as a power. And I do. I try and use it as a superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, so introduce you and your your bio is fantastic so uh let's read this out so jasmine is a little punk storytelling powerhouse of trans brown muslim non-binary activist know-it-all monster energy oh that is so great um she loves bumblebees and beetles writes about queerness marine mammal intelligence and love sometimes they dance usually when they've seen a butterfly that's a good excuse but for other reasons too (laughs) jasmine has chatted to drag queens about clownfish presented cbbs on starfish and now and this is definitely something very exciting writing a book mm. so uh, uh yeah we'll g- give you the chance to talk a bit about that uh, jasmine because um it sounds like something that will be very welcome on a geographer's shelf so. <laughs> thank you i mean yeah that to be honest when when you said oh you can write anything you want for the bio for the bio I immediately went to like my little folder that's got the list of all like, the different <laughs> bios that I send people and yes. I, was like, I was like wait a minute but I just told you what my jobs are so why would I repeat that in the bio so this is the first time I've ever written that kind of bio for this because you were like do something quirky and I was like do you know what I'll put something in that like no one can really tell what it is but it's quite it's quite queer in the way that yeah. I mean it. so I just I enjoy um yeah and that is like a, an ode to my ADHD is the fact that there's so much random stuff on there <laughs> an ode to AD oh I'm gonna have to use that <laughs> that's right. a biography title 
an ode to ADHD. Yeah, it certainly is. Or the cover of your cover of when you get round to it, Jasmine, maybe a cover of your autobiography. An oh ode God. to ADHD. <laughs> an ode to ADHD. Oh, <laughs> But again, it's like, again, for the second time now in just the space of four minutes, I feel seen because when you said about like your bios and like the amount of time, like for project work and for contributing to articles and stuff like that, I say, oh, can you send me your bio? And I do. I've like, I'm like, I get that stage where I kind of, I go back into my emails where I've sent bios in. I'm like, every time I see my old bios, I'm like, meh, <laughs> I'm sure I can do better than this. Yeah. It's it's weird though because it's like when they ask for a bio, it's like do do I put down all the jobs that I have done, and then it just sounds like I'm listing off stuff, yeah. or do I put my personality into it? And I've never like the only times I've ever put personality into bios is when I'm recently I've signed up to like well signed up I've been asked to do like poetry readings and stuff, and they're like oh send us a bio, and before I used to send it, and it used to be so strat- stratified and like systematic, and I'd be like. Yeah oh, I've read these other people and they're all like magical and musical. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I do this, this and this. And it's yeah. like, no, I need to change it. So that's the only things I've been doing, like really like quirky ones for. So this one's like the quirkiest one yet. And I'm yes. like, willing to change some of my other bios now as per this one. I love it. It's completely within the right tone of <laughs> A, this podcast and be the quirky host because I am a lot of people who know me know I am pretty quirky. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So Jasmine, uh, in the coffee uh, vein of coffee and joffy, do you have um, a specific brew with you or are you on just um, something a little bit more sensible like water? I mean, I've got, I've got my cup of tea with oat milk. What about yourself? I mean, I would love uh, a mocha with uh, soya milk and yeah, just that would be my dream drink at the moment. I am on water though as as trans peasantry would have it okay <laughs> yeah so we we can picture ourselves in in the in the coffee house though with uh with your mocha and my um my fancy tea with oat milk so i'm glad someone else who goes for the non-dairy option as well <laughs> and I, once i went to oat milk because I, I wow actually this is really good i'm not going to go back at all and uh i can't i can't i can't stand the taste of cow's milk anymore I really yeah, can't. I can't either. And I think, again, it like comes from being vegan and going into that. Like I'll still eat um, like products that aren't vegan because I think the whole point of veganism is that it's more of a perspective and it's not a diet because I don't like mm. diets. And I think your if your ideology is that you want to save and not waste, then throwing away something that's not vegan doesn't make sense. So yes. to me, it's more like, you know, you do what you can and lit- a little is better than none anyway so anyone who is vegan and eats meat or meat or any product or uses any product that isn't vegan that's that's fine you're what you're doing is basically just using things that are already in front of you as long as you're not you know as long as you're not producing a demand for it i think that's yeah fine. so i i yeah but i hate dairy milk i cannot go back to that <laughs> i know it's it's, it's really interesting to say because when people say to me like i pick up so usually when I'm like at a, a buffet and it's the end of the buffet, right? Um, and then I pick up one of the remaining sausage rolls and I'm like, Kit, what are you doing? I thought you were a vegan or vegetarian. I'm like, well, I've asked if anyone else is going to eat that. I've asked the people who have supplied the food, I said, what's going to happen to it? And they go, oh, it's probably just going to go in the bin. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah. No, that's going into my digestive system and being turned into energy. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that's. That so I'm I think framing it as as a perspective rather than as a diet is probably the best way because I I people say what kind of diet or do you eat and I'm like I don't really say ve- I say well I kind of like we default to vegan but we do eat 
you know, we do eat some products, some animal products, and then every now and then we eat meat, but usually it's only kind of like not to waste things and low carbon and things mm-hmm. like that. And I like, like there is no word for it. So to actually framing it all as just a perspective is, is a, I'm like carbontarian. Is that even a thing <laughs> now? Did I just coin a new word? I don't know. I think, but that is like that. That's exactly what you need to do is frame it as a perspective because it's, it's almost like, um, like, like you said, if it's being wasted, then it's almost disrespectful, I think, to the animal that has been mm, yeah. killed for this, that you're now going to throw it away. Like all that energy went into making that animal. And then you, you know, all that carbon and all that pollution and all that emission went into factory farming. And at the end of that, it's just going to get thrown away. Like you yeah. might as well eat it. Come on. Like it, even if you're, you know, you don't, what you're not doing is creating a demand for it, I think. So I think yeah. it's very interesting that people, and also there's this whole thing about um, the whitewashing of vegan diets, you know, yes. the, the yeah. Eurocentricity that's at the center of most modern vegan diets, because really what what we're searching for is a sustainable option. And that can come from insect foundation diets yep. and insect-based diets, which, you know, I've seen they've recently started stocking in like Lidl and stuff. So it's like, yeah. it's it's interesting to like delve into different things and what people think about, because I feel like I talk to a lot of vegans and they're like, oh, we eat it because we can't stand the fact that the animals that have feelings, you know, and I'm like, well, but plants are living too. That's not really why we're doing this. We're not doing it because it has a feeling, because if you think about it, a lot of the world that we use and the resources that we use, mm. we're an ecosystem. It does rely upon the give and take of organisms that may not necessarily know how each other feels and so it's more based upon a sustainable environment that can be created for all yeah a a few things you said that i really pick up on i mean like um as soon as you said about the whitewashing um like i thought well yeah you know talk about um indigenous practices you Mm -hmm. know about about being part of the ecosystem, being part, you know, the natural part of how the, the the food web and things like that, and and how they would, you know, eat meat and whale and things like that as part of the ecosystem in a sustainable way, you know, that's one thing. So I think it is very much disrespecting, say, indigenous practices in that respect. Yeah. And then you said about the insects. Well, last week's episode, it was non location recording because I was doing a. Um, uh, a yearly thing that I do because I used to be part of a, a network where with teachers from the Norwich area and teachers in Malawi in Dedza Malawi mm. and we have this yearly conference about you know where, where we gather together and we t- learn about Malawian culture and things like that um, and actually we had a discussion with with the youngsters yesterday uh, last week about um, about insects about eating insects and we were talking about you know there is such a thing as about like cricket powder and stuff like that and then mm-hmm. you know which that so that was funny you mentioned that. Um, yeah and it's and I wouldn't say I was I'm a subscriber to it but I'm really fascinated by it and that's uh James Lovelock's Gaia theory Mm. so um I'm not I I love I love thinking of the world as almost itself as a as a living entity you know with everything inside it as part of you know, as part of that entity, which is all interconnected, there is not a single part of the earth which is not connect. You know, which is not, mm-hmm. which is con- not a single part of the world that is not connected with something else in a part of the world. And mm-hmm. um, you know, something that happens 
in the mountains in the Himalayas, you know, eventually will have a knock-on effect somewhere in the deserts of mm-hmm. North America, yeah. you know, uh, that kind of thing. And we're just part of this eco, this giant ecosystem. I just find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, El, El Nino is a fan, what's on the rise at the moment is a fantastic example of that, how, mm. you know, this oscillation in the, in the, in the Southern Pacific has ramifications every single place on the globe. Mm. you know it's almost yeah. like the circulatory system of the earth and exactly yeah it's it's a big it's a big body almost and you know every single part of this system whatever it does will have an effect on every single other part of the system and a big part of like my intersectional work yeah. and the, the work that I do around intersectionality and joining up the dots between things and this most recent project that I've done on that I've been doing on queer ecology is this idea that the intersectional identity of the planet contains every single person and every Mm. single person, whatever they do and however they act and whatever ideology they have that then influences others to act in a certain way, we all have an effect on each other. And in that way we are quite connected. And so that's almost, that's, you know, that's a reason for us to bring more community based societal solutions into, into practice because we are a giant community anyway. Yeah. And and things like nationalism and isolationism are, are, in that respect are always doomed to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can have their, they can have their moments in the spotlight, but they are, but they've been proven through history time and time again, that they are simply unsustainable. Mm-hmm. So, um, which, which is what gives me hope for what's happening at the moment where we seem to be entering another period of nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it, it, it's it's a hard thing to live through at the time and there and there and I, I don't want to go into it now I mean I'm very vocal about it on on social media for example and people who follow me on social media know I'm very vocal about it on social media but um it's it's something that is terrifying scary and I it does upset me at times but I do have hope that it will lose out in the end it will it will be gone and the world will be a better place at some point, I hope it's a better place within a time that I can enjoy it. Yeah. But certainly, you know, it will, will come out of it again within my children's lifetime or grandchildren's lifetime because it just doesn't last because mm-hmm. you get found out if you're isolationist, you get found out if you're nationalist because of the natural intersectionality of our lives. Mm-hmm. You, we are connected to everybody else and, and, and ecosystems. And, and if we're not, we perish. Yeah. And I, I'm also very vocal about it, but uh, I don't know if you wanted to move on to questions because I feel like I'm like, again, you said it was fine to have a chat, but again, I'm like, I feel like we could go on like, like yes, this forever. Yes. Because I definitely have a ton of not even just opinions, but just things that I've written on um, the political mindset of the current era yeah. and how that connects to like where it comes from. I'm very big on beginnings and sources and going yes. back to to the beginnings of things and finding out where they've come from and seeing how they've got here. So like, again, I don't know if this is like the realm we want to delve into, but I could definitely sure. go there if you wanted. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's a good place because I, th- I think both of us can definitely go off on one with this. So <laughs> um, I think, I think what we've done, we've, 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 we've expressed our opinions. I think we've grounded it in, in, you know, positive things like intersectionality and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, and it's a lot, there's a lot out there for people to have a look at as well. So I want to, let's, let's bring it back then to, as you say, the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're in Bristol at the moment. I've got some uh, wonderful friends uh, over in Bristol that um, teach us and whatnot, and they'll be delighted to hear that you're in the local area as well. Maybe, yeah. I don't know, maybe they can try and get, 
get you into the schools or something but you, you know if you're not too busy lol um so uh yeah so tell us a bit about um so what the question i always like to ask people on this podcast is is the location you are now um how much of it is it a part of your identity have you brought other identities with you from other locations um you know how 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 do you feel do you feel like a bristol gal or do you feel like there's other things like that combine and you've and you know as part of a locational identity, I guess. So yeah, tell us a bit about you and, and where you are. Um, it's interesting because I, I think I moved to Bristol. Um, so I moved to Bristol because I got a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was at university in Portsmouth and I was studying marine biology. And I I finished my degree and I got a job at the BBC Natural History Unit as a researcher. Um, for the development team and I'd always wanted to do wildlife film I'd always wanted to work in wildlife filmmaking and I've made a few films myself and and spoken at wildlife film festivals and I hope to go back into it at some point in in a more of a kind of professional capacity but at this point it was almost like how do I get my foot in the door and interestingly that came from Twitter so I'd been I'd been chatting on Twitter as I usually do about Springwatch, um, which again is coming around very soon, and I'm Woo. very excited. Um, I yeah, I'd just been chatting about it, and I'd been saying, "Oh, what I usually do is <laughs> take little screenshots of the animals that are on there and be like, this is my favorite one.' Then you tag BBC Springwatch on Twitter, and they usually give it a retweet or someone in the team like answers. But this time, I got a DM from the head of development at Ooh. BBC Natural History Unit, which was very lovely. Um, and he was like, do you want a job, basically? Do you want to send over your CV? Because you seem really into wildlife. And I was like, hell yeah, I want a job. <laughs> this is something I've wanted to do since I was like nine. Like, um, So I yeah, I immediately answered that. And I started working um, remotely. Um, so, because this was in COVID um, when mm. I finished my degree. Um, and... Yeah, it was remote. So it was interesting that I think that's probably the the chance that like I never would have been given that chance to work for the BBC not living in Bristol if it mm. hadn't been COVID, which is a very interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Like, the opportunities that that that, you know, this entire pandemic, which is still very much ongoing, has given but also taken away for a lot of people. But f- for that like small thing, it gave me the chance to work there. And so I visited Bristol a few times and I thought it's all right it's a bit gentrified it's a bit like you know it's like gentrified hippies and I'm not really a fan of that but like it's all right um and so I I think when I moved here I brought across my I brought across an identity I brought the identity I'd gotten from university um which is where I kind of started my queerness and my queer kind of journey where I kind of tried to learn more about myself and made a few mistakes and like learn about myself in the wrong ways and just really kind of tried to like unravel this tightly wound kind of coil of I think heteronormativity and patriarchal yeah. cisnormativity and all of these horrible like toxic masculinity kind of all of these these troubles that had that had been intertwined into my my identity from growing up in quite a strict Muslim background Um, But what I brought to Bristol was I know that I'm queer and I need to find out more about myself, but I don't have the tools to do it and the Mm. tools for the environment. And so what Bristol gave me was this incredibly beautiful, queer, like punky kind of socialist 
environment to grow in where it was like anti-government, anti-capitalism, anti-corporate, all of these things that I thought they're very much queer, but how do I how do I grasp onto them? And I remember one of the first things I did. Um, so there's there's a ballroom scene in Bristol. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, ballroom is um, and you may know what it is, but it's it's this incredible community that grew in the kind of the 80s in America. Um, and it is this underground movement for mainly trans people of color, trans women of color. Um, and what it was, was this chance for, and it was a, a lot of queer people of color who weren't trans women as well, but it was this chance for these marginalized, very much persecuted communities in that era of America to express themselves in the most authentic way they saw possible. And they oh. were able, like, so there's a show called Pose, and that's very mm. much, yeah, that's based around the ballroom scene in America. Really? Um, and since then, it's, like, spanned across across the nations, and um, England and the UK have a few ballroom scenes, um, and one of them is in Bristol. So I joined that scene, and I was able to, like, I still... Um, I, I'm not like very much involved in it now, but my friends and very much the community is is quite like tightly wound in that area. So I think Bristol gave me the chance to grow oh. um, and it gave me that connection in terms of wildlife film, you know, Wild Screens here, um, which is a wildlife film festival. Um, you know, all the the like if you look at the streets, if you look at like some of the streets in the centre of Bristol, it's it's crazy. There's like two or three different wildlife production companies situated right alongside each other, including the BBC Natural History Unit. Yeah. And so you gain those connections. And I think I did that for a year. I worked at the BBC and then I moved on to like Wild Space for Netflix and have gained like lots of different connections in the presenting world and the and the producer world. And it's been really, really lovely. And again, I hope to go back into it, but at the moment I'm kind of focusing more on trying to figure out where I fit because I don't think I fitted there very well. And like mm. I said before, Bristol's, it's amazing, but it is, it's very much, I think it's a, it's a city that's trying to be London. And right. that can't be good because London is, whilst it's incredible for diversity and I grew up in London, so I, I love London, but the, the gentrification that occurs, which really, um, it causes this gap, this gap mm. between um, classes. It, it is a big, a big cesspool, a big breeding ground for classism and elitism, I think, is when housing prices go up, um, yeah, areas yeah. become gentrified. And I think Bristol's trying to do that. So I'm not a fan of that direction that it's going in, but it gave me so, it's given me so much. Um, and it's given me uh, my chosen family and um, my, my partner who I, um, love very very much and so it's you know it's it's given me a lot I think and what I brought to it was my my the spark that I had that I could never set to flame in other places but I I'm glad that I was able to come here and do that oh that's such a thank you for sharing that with us all that's, a, that's okay. so, be so beautiful so uh, beautiful yeah there's a lot of parallels with me like going to uh, University of Stanglia in Norwich I mean I, I still didn't realize my my trans identity until much later but it definitely was like like you it was a it was a space for me to kind of explore who I really was who I wasn't which is just as important yeah um, and and meet people who you know are non-conforming I mean not necessarily in gender but you know just in any other ways as well that they're non-conforming and then it just like as you say it lights that it gives that spark 
Yeah. And then and then it took a while for that spark to the flame to be lit. And yeah, I have, you know, I have friends in the LGBTQ community here and um close friends now and some of you know, when I first started off it you wouldn't say it was behind closed doors, but it certainly was, you know, in safer spaces that were that were kind of out of the way in order to kind of be yourself. And then mm. as time's gone on, you know, being a bit more open and, and I feel the same, same way about Norwich really. Um, and uh, for, so for geographers then, so those of you in the Bristol Bath area, you know, if you're not, if you, I think you've, Jasmine's just given you like a load of fantastic resources that <laughs> if you're not using already, you really should. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and the other thing as well, you were talking about London's gentrification and it brought up to me a visual, I don't know if it still exists. I'll have to, have a little after the chat, have a little look and put it in the show notes. If it is, but there used to be something really, really cool as a jog geographical visualization, but a little bit, um, yeah, you look at it and you go, Oh, that is, that, Oh, that's not great. And that was uh, a visualization called lives on the line, which was, mm. it was basically a map of London with the, um, geographical underground map on it so not not this not the diagrammatic one but the actual where the mm. uh, true to true to geolocation and every tube stop was that area's life expectancy so it's really really fascinating so and you're right like these gentrified areas had and areas where they were very affluent especially like in canary wharf and like you know places like the city of london like mm. life expectancies would be like in their 80s and stuff yeah, like yeah. that and then you'd have neighboring boroughs where the life expectancy would drop into their you know mid 70s or something like that i mean yeah. you people could say oh yeah well life expectancy of 70 or something like that that's actually still really good well no it's that's not the point the point is the disparity between those yeah. you know exactly. if you think i mean um i remember them there being like every stop the life expectancy was decreasing by like one year and then so you only get seven stops away you know, for someone to live on average seven years, and my youngest is six and a half, right? And I'm thinking about the life that he has had in six and a half years. Mm. Where if there's a life expectancy difference of six to five years on average, that is a an average of my little one's life that someone is not experiencing. Mm. That is a lot of time. It's a lot of time. For a human lifetime. The key word there is disparity. It's the mm. difference between people and their lived experiences and the environments they grew up in. And obviously, you know, when you look at London, you can trace back reasons for systemic racism and reasons for systemic birth and death rates and, and where they come from mm -hmm. and why, you know, migrant families settling those areas in terms of um, the the economic centres and how much how much money is present in different areas of London and why there are different people. You, you could go on, but you could yeah. definitely, you know, London as a case study is very much, it, it's a very good intersectional case study because it teaches us why people move, how they move, um, where they've moved to, um, why the moving of money is almost more important than where it goes to. And mm lots of these different things like um you know buildings what kind of buildings exist in different areas and then you can link that into natural history and of course you know why different areas in london are greener why they should be greener should mm. they should they you know focus on land management should they focus on brown land management green land management all these different different factors play into it, i think and you can really understand intersectional growth from london so i love london because it is that it's this like it's this soup of intersectionality and 
that is amazing. It's one of the most diverse areas I've ever been to in England. And it's beautiful in that way. Mm. Um, and I think the the bits that Bristol is trying to follow from that, I love. But the bits that it's trying to follow from gentrification, which, you know, again, London's one of the richest cities in the world, of course, it's going to have a gentrified factor. Um, but if Bristol tries to follow that, that is just not going to be good for a lot of the communities, yeah. as it has not been for a lot of the communities in London. Yeah, we've been having a very good discussion in the um, in the decolonizing geography WhatsApp group, and uh, and there was there was a really long discussion regarding um, the fallacy of of reducing migration to just push and pull factors, and even the term push and pull factors yeah, yeah. is problematic. And I think what you've just said there, it like kind of really really kind of summarizes a lot of what the sentiment was um, in the discussion. And you've put that quite succinctly more than I could ever could as well. So, um, so folks in the DG WhatsApp group, um, I definitely will be sharing, um, this podcast chat for you. Cause I think you'll find, um, what Jasmine just said, they're really good kind of synopsis of, of the discussion that we've had there. And, uh, while I'm, while I'm on it, folks, if you're a, a geography educator and you want to be, and you're interested in the decolonizing geography group, um, just get in touch and I can, we can hook you up on that and you can join in the discussion. Um, so I'm going to move on now because I, because I, now what I usually do, I say, like, oh yeah, London, because I'm originally, I'm half Cockney, so from East End of London. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I could go on and talk about, you know, how my identity has gone from there. And then I moved to Harlem in Essex and then in Norwich, but I've <laughs> done that so many times on this podcast. They're like, oh, kid, not again. We, we've listened to that about five times already. So it's like, I'm the person who t- says the same joke, like 500 times to five, <laughs> 500 different people, Amazing. but there's always like two people who be like, oh, again. <laughs> so I appreciate I do do that, folks. Right. Um, I want to share it with something with everybody that I think everybody would absolutely love that you feature on. And that is uh, folks who you may remember four or five episodes ago, I spoke to the absolute wonderful uh, Hermione Meow, um, who uh, I then uh, subsequently met at the Geographical Association Conference only a few weeks after that, which was amazing. And she gave me like all this lovely tea stuff and whatnot. But she's oh. been working on a project called um, Mapping Inspirational Women. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to put uh, the link in the description about that because Hermione is building on this project at the moment. Um, and she is definitely up for giving more recommendations and things like that. And so we can support Hermione with this. But I was absolutely delighted to find out that you feature on this map, Jasmine, which is That's amazing. Fantastic. So Hermione has put a little, um, I mean, I haven't really figured out what her all her symbols different mean. So Hermione, if you, you can tweet for us and tell us what they mean. But you, you've got a little book, green book symbol um, over Bristol. And there is there is a little description here. It says here on the 10th of May, this is Hermione's words here. On the 10th of May, I attended an online talk where Jasmine shared her writing and poems. I write to understand myself really hit me. That was the same talk that I went to as well. That mm-hmm, was we were talking mm-hmm. about before recorded. Here is Jasmine's website. The event is part of a talk of a series related to a conference about um when I dare to be powerful conference.wordpress.com. You can also find Jasmine on Go Wild for Bees. So yeah, you have made Jasmine's map of inspirational women. How how does that make you feel? It's amazing. <laughs> it's really cool. I remember seeing it. Um and I remember like because I'd just done the talk for the um for the conference, which again, that conference was so wonderful. And it's the first time that I've mixed um kind of talking being interviewed and then poetry as well 
um, yeah. because I gave a presentation and then after the presentation, you know, I, I got interviewed and, th- and then I did the poetry and it was really, really lovely. And it's so amazing to think that someone tagged on inspirational to that because every time someone's like inspiration I'm like that's such a massive word that's a huge word thank you for tagging it on to my name because that's a massive word and I'm a tiny person so that is a big thing for me to have I think and also like the gender euphoria the gender euphoria with being called an inspirational woman I recently like I did something for uh, the women in conservation society um I can't remember where it was for but I will I will remember that but um basically it was it it got me a t-shirt that said women in conservation and I was like that is so euphoric that is so validating because yeah I feel like um as like a Pakistani Muslim trans woman but also someone who identifies as non-binary to mm. like to have people say oh you're an inspirational woman it's like woman that's yeah. a <laughs> that's an interesting like because I see trans girl a lot but trans woman yes yeah. damn yeah. like that's a whole thing I think this the connotation of nomenclature and you know the the differences in in like what it influences in terms of when you say girl boy man woman obviously they're built upon heteronormative and patriarchal values but the reclamation of them mm. um in this in this identity music which is transness i think yeah. like that alchemy of self change which i love about transness and trans people like the way we've been able to reclaim these terms and make them powerful in the right ways is that's what i love about them so i love the word woman every time someone's like you know what 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 are your like favorite words to describe yourself i'm like woman because like that is a term that i never thought i'd be able to use and embody yeah. in such and fill out because it feels like with trans girl, you take it and it's cute and it's beautiful and it's lovely, but it's like this little ornate dagger, like it's it's wonderful. Yes. But like with a woman, it's like you you have to fill out this armor, like mm. and it's and it's really I, I like I love it in that way. Yeah, and uh, and also you know not it's it's um, the the oppression of of these gender uh, like normative things, you know, is a colonial mm. thing as well. I mean, mm-hmm. to see that there are so many different cultures out there which do not categorize things so binary mm-hmm. um there's a wonderful fellow on on twitter you may follow called lakota man one um mm. who's a fantastic you know and and he constantly posts stuff about uh gender nonconformity in native uh people and first nations people and it's just so beautiful and um and then you look back in other places around the world about how you have people with third genders or you have you know s- spiritual Oh, uh, it's it's I I'm, it's probably it's my white colo- my white colonial background that it for, I find it difficult to explain and difficult to verbalize. So mm. I'm going to admit there that I can't do it justice. But it's just <laughs> but the, the the richness and diversity within how there are different um, parts of, of someone's culture is just amazing, and that's what I love about this as well. I mean, of course there is go- there is going to be um, things that cisgender women experience that transgender women don't but there's a hell of a lot of intersectionality mm-hmm. um in right in the middle there and i think we're, we're all so much more powerful and, and so much more supportive of each other when we when we kind of work in that in that intersectional yeah. bubble i mean so i'm looking yeah. at this map um and so you know you're on this map kind of bristol in liverpool we've got liz carr who is um an international disability rights activist comedian broadcaster um which is pretty awesome so up in sheffield we've got margaret 
Archer, who is sociologist, has spent most of her academic career where she was professor of sociology, a critical real, um, one of the most influential theorists in critical realist tradition. And so, but this is only just the UK. I mean, Hermione's gone international with this stuff. Yeah. Um, Check that out, everybody. It's amazing. And it goes all around the world. And if you've got any recommendations, please, for Hermione, go check it out. It is so, so cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Jasmine, what, let's see, what, what, what can we, uh, else can we talk about now? So, um, yeah, your poetry then. As someone who tries to dabble in a bit of poetry myself, and I have done some of it in the podcast, Mm -hmm. for, 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 for you, what, what is it that poetry can communicate about, you know, not just, not just yourself and how you see the world and, and the way the world is, but let's, let's stick to the geography theme in terms of like communicating about, about our world what do you think is it that that poetry can do for you that we seem to be lacking in any other way of conveying like conveying messages it's the most for me it's the it's the most not just the easiest way but the most authentic way that I've been able to express any opinion or feeling that I have about the world and my place in it I think because I I used to think so I used to I still write articles as a journalist um, but I used to think that they were the best way, my opinionated articles anyway, were the best ways of me expressing any sort of thought mm-hmm. that I had around my my identity, my queerness, my sexuality, um, the places that I've come from, the places that I want to go, and the people that I see, and, and the wildlife that I see, and just really the world. And I thought this is the best way to express these opinions is through this article, because I can... I can really get into, I can analyze these, I can dissect them. But what I really found was every time I wrote an article, I would write a poem first and then I'd write the article from the poem. And it's weird because I I never, I thought, oh, well, that's just part of the process. These aren't really that important. They're not really very good. They're just part of the process of gaining a foothold in my thought and kind of like strategizing it. How am I going to write this article? But it was only afterwards and actually quite recently that I realized whilst the articles are good for dissecting certain thoughts that I've had, they always have to go through someone else's brain. Like they're, they're edited, you know, they're always stratified by someone else They They have to reach a word limit. They have to correlate to a certain theme, but with poems, no one can change them because if they change them, they're not yours anymore. Like they're not your poems anymore. So actually in order for them to be, even even to even reach the lowest benchmark of identity of being your poetry they can never be changed and the only person who can ever change them really is you so in that way for me they're the most authentic way I have of expressing any opinion feeling or emotion about the world and I've written some pretty like like some of the poems I've written like I, I, I write um as almost like a form of therapy to myself I write horror um horror pieces and like that's been an interesting turn but it's like I don't use punctuation I don't I don't tend to stick to any sort of stereotypical writing rules that I've been taught I don't listen to sentence structure um intonation is very big for me I love Mm. when a poet can intonate and uh use their language or words and sound them out in a way that I've never thought um to do before but they fit into the rhythm of the poem quite well or poems that have no rhythm at all 
or yeah. you know if someone just comes out of the blue and thinks of something and just just like huh that was really cool because that really made me think about that concept but if you were to just read it without any context it probably wouldn't make any sense like i love that kind of flipping on its side of any sort of structure or rules um about wording language or how we speak because i think that's inherently queer because queerness mm. is inherently about that difference i think um and there's this incredible um piece that i read um and then that i extrapolated on myself which talked about how if queerness is difference then what it really is is just a pushback against the normality of heteronormativity and cisnormativity mm. and stereotypical society and in that way it is a pushback against eurocentricity white supremacy and all of these other terrible concepts that have become intertwined in our system but that's interesting because why are we a pushback why aren't we our own identity why is queerness a pushback against normality yeah. it's, it's so odd that it is that i think but the reclamation of difference and the reclamation of being different is almost like we've previously thought about it as this is them and then we pushed back and now we're their reflection but actually it's not that it's almost like they're this tiny little line in this gigantic globe and we're the rest of the globe like we're mm. everything they're not but everything they're not is so much so I love I love to think about how with poetry when you do everything that you're not supposed to do you have so much many so much so much many so much more in terms of options and so much more in terms of what you can write about and I I love that because as an ecologist that's how I love to look at wildlife and conservation is like you look at wildlife and you think anything that they have told me that you're not is so much like it's so yeah. much they miss out so much when they categorize and I feel like that's the same with poetry I don't. I, I usually have some kind of thing to follow up. I just no. I can't. I can't, okay, I'm going to go straight with another question. Um, is there anything? Is there anything? So I'm. I'm definitely putting your website on on the show notes 100. But is there anything you've put on your website, like one of your blog entries, something like that, which can be like a, a first step for someone who's like, I really am fascinated what Yasmin's just said, and I want to read something that she's done. Mm-hmm. Is there anything on on your website like um the what thing I wrote here I think is a probably a good example of what I've just been talking about I mean yeah. is there anything that pops off the top of your head um I think probably the article that I wrote the article did I write an article yeah the article that I wrote for gay times um mm-hmm. So the article that I wrote for Gay Times, that when you go on my website, um, again, it's a bit of a mess because it's kind of, my website is something that I've built myself, like, and it's kind of developed since I started writing a blog when I was like nine and oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like evolved since then. So it, it's the same platform, but just with lots of other different links and layers. But if you scroll down just before my biography, there's a little, there's a little list of like buttons and one of the buttons will be Gay Times and for Gay Times on International Women's Day, um, I came out as having she, her pronouns as well as they, them pronouns. So before that, I was just non-binary. Um, and on International Women's Day, because I like to be extra, I was like, I'm going to come out um, and finally recognize the inherent womanhood that I have about myself. Um, and if you read that article, I think it really 
it's a good place to start for how I write because what it does is I start with this completely different idea of what the article's even going to have. And then later on, I go into what does womanhood mean to me? What does my womanhood mean to me? But why do I keep non-binariness? Why do I still say that I'm they, them as well as she, her? And why do I inherently believe that whilst I love being a woman, I very much do not agree with the stereotypical systemic idea of what womanhood should be. Mm. And within that, there is this entire discussion about autonomy. And I, I think that can be linked almost directly back to what we're fighting for as trans people and queer people. We're fighting for a for a place to question, for yeah. a place to have autonomy over yourself. And obviously that links into abortion rights, womanhood, rights around immigration, everything. It can all be linked back to what we fight for. So that's kind of a good article, I think, for people to read and then to go, well, if you fight for trans women, what you're fighting for is for everyone. Because mm. we, you know, trans rights are your rights. It's just at a rung of the ladder that you never had to step on. But it's mm. it's there. It's on the same ladder. It's just further down. And if you take it away, the ladder will get shorter and then you'll fall off. And so it's like, you know, it's 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 nice to, for people to see that and kind of think, oh, huh, didn't think about it like that before. Mm. That's brilliant. Yes, yeah, so, so it's called My Queerness is Something That I've Learned to Love and, yeah. uh, from, and it was written for Gay Times. That's fantastic. All right, there's one last thing I want to do before we do the uh, we end the show mm-hmm. uh, for um, for the little segment called Spill the Beans, which is kind of like a little bit about you that like you're like a bit squeamish to admit. <laughs> uh, and uh, so when I ask you the question, is there anything that you can't link to, to geography or the environment? You're like, I can't do that because everything's connected, but my love of taylor swift maybe <laughs> yes i oh my god honestly i used to like i have a t-shirt with all of her different eras on it and like awesome. for my um for one of my um anniversary presents my partner has gotten me the entire like red album on vinyl and <gasps> it's like oh my god um, it's like revamped with all of her versions of everything i honestly like i love her music and it really helped me growing up and it's like something that's quite intrinsically a part of my growth the problem is taylor swift is like peak you know peak like middle class like cisgender white woman feminism and that's not that's not good that's problematic (laughs) And like you see now with like who, you know, who she dates and like some of the stuff she comes up with. And I'm like, Taylor, like, what are you doing? Like, come on. Like, what (laughs) what is this? Like, I love, I love your music. Like your music is amazing. And I think it's unfair to put celebrities on pedestals because they are just people. And so, you know, putting them in a place that they are like gods and they can influence how the world works. That doesn't make sense. They're just people with a lot of money, unfortunately. And usually because they are celebrities, a lot of privilege and a lot of privilege plus a lot of money is not a good thing. So she's going to make tons of mistakes, obviously. Um, And I don't know her. So I don't know many of the actual reasons behind any of her doing any of that stuff, but as a responsibility to represent femininity and whiteness, she doesn't do a very good job a lot of the time. And so Mm. I'm almost like, it's like a weird thing for me to admit as someone who's like Brown and Muslim and like punk and like, you know, socialists and like all of these other things and trans and I'm like fighting for all this stuff and I'm like, yeah, but I also love Taylor Swift. And it's like, yeah. okay, cool. Nice one. Like, yeah. So that's probably the squeamish thing <laughs> that I like to anything else I can generally link back 
to the land to geography to the natural world to people like it's very hard I think not to do that but I think with that also comes this kind of this ream of stuff that I love in my life Mm. that isn't necessarily anti-system and that kind of opens a conversation about well if you have autonomy to choose it for yourself then it's not a bad thing. Like, you know, being heteronormative in the way that we dress as trans women is a reclamation of womanhood. It's a reclamation of what we find comfortable and euphoric. That's not a bad thing, even if it is in line with a stereotype that we think is problematic. Our Mm. autonomy to choose it is what we're fighting for, not the destroying of it. Um, Yeah. I, I tell you who do it, who do it very, very, very well in a very funny way, in a way that's disarming and makes it feel OK, like you say, mm-hmm. is um, I listen to the Guilty Feminist podcast mm-hmm. with Deborah yeah. Francis White. And they do this thing at the start of every podcast, which is I'm a feminist, but so <laughs> so so what they do, you know, I'm a I'm a feminist, but, you know, I I felt really. I felt really great after hoovering the whole entire house, you know, and baking my baking my partner a cake or something like that, you know. Yeah. There are, I mean, there's better examples than that, but but it's it's an example about just embracing the fact that we are we we can love certain we are flawed human beings as long as we recognise it, and mm-hmm. you know, and our overall kind of outlook is is you know the positive good that that good, so the chaotic good, whatever you want to call it, with that grid stuff, <laughs> or um, you know, so uh, yeah, it's um. It's fine. And, you know, and Taylor Swift does do a lot, you know, is tries to with philanthropy has done a lot of stuff to help people recover from COVID and stuff like that, but she's a human being like we all are. So um, yeah, I really love how you put that, that we're not trying to say you've got to be an absolute like perfect ally in certain things. You, you know, like it goes back to what we said a bit earlier, isn't it? About being vegan and stuff like that. It's like, it's not like we're saying if you eat one morsel of meat, you're, you're not a vegan, you're evil. You know, it's, we need to embrace our, imperfectness and do the mm-hmm. you know because that's because we're yeah. humans and so it's about yeah embracing that privilege as well because obviously yeah. she has a lot of privilege and it's good to use that privilege for good and sometimes she doesn't do that as well as i think she could so definitely calling her out yeah. on it is something that should be done like it should be done and i think you know if you're a good person who wants to do good in the right way then you want your privilege to be called out and so if yes. you know if you're taylor swift and you want to be called out Uh, or sorry if you're Taylor Swift and you are a good person and you really believe in the causes that you say you stand for then you want to be called out on your privilege because that's what I would want and I want to be Mm -hmm. called out on my own privilege too because I want to yeah I want to find fault and then try and change it and try and counter it in any way I can so yeah Yeah. I 100% agree and uh yeah and as I've said plenty of times for us one reason why I do this podcast is because I do have a privilege check quite often mm-hmm. when I do this podcast and it's healthy and it's good and it makes me a better geographer. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. So to end the podcast then, let's link you back to um, our previous, well, we didn't have a previous guest because I did the, the thing at the uh, Malawi conference last week, folks who listened. Oh. So you're going to love this uh, because cause you're, you're a communication educator yourself is that uh, for We Are All Geographers, Jasmine, where we come up with a word for you to try and link to geography, right? Mm. um for the, the next guest to have a go at so last week i i sat down with uh mr Lowe from avenues primary in norwich at the malawi conference we did mm. and we were surrounded by a bunch of his uh primary school pupils bless them and so when i asked him i say okay so for, for my next guest on the podcast what kind of word are you gonna gonna give to them 
to try and uh, get them to link to geography. And then, of course, all the, the kids do as a kid, you know, there's some of them were eight, nine, ten years old. And it was lovely. It was like one of them said, like, grass, because that was the first thing they saw, you know. Uh, another one said, corfball, because apparently Mr. Lowe is the corfball teacher as well at, at the primary school, which is amazing. Like, they're doing corfball. Um, so, and then, but eventually they all settled for um, t shirt. Amazing. <laughs> they settled on T-shirt, Jasmine. So what the deal is, is that you've got basically 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So you, you can see the timer at the top there. 30 seconds, just a riff on the word T-shirt. And if you can make any geographical links with T-shirts, you certainly can. So okay. whenever you're ready, talk okay. to us about T-shirts. Okay. Well, T-shirts have been very hard for me, I think, especially as a trans woman, because I always had a, I always had, I always struggled with like showing parts of my body that I was never allowed to show as an AMAB um, assigned male at birth person. And so I think for me, t-shirts have always been a struggle to fit into. Um, But then of course that links into um, what parts of the world I come from, where, where I'm allowed to wear certain levels of, of dress and what I'm allowed to wear, because as an AMAB person, we actually aren't allowed to uncover our arms and shoulders in a lot of the Arab countries where a lot of my relatives are from. And so in that way, the masculine and feminine and the, those stereotypes are changed and different from the Eurocentric ideologies that we have here. And now I feel very comfortable wearing clothes like T-shirts because it shows off parts of my body that validate me. So, yay! Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. Yeah, I love it. And I, I feel the same way with my clothing. And people say, Kit, why do you, you know, I thought you meant to be non-conforming. You keep dressing like that stuff. Because it, it makes me feel good. Yeah, that um, is non-conforming. That is yeah. non-conforming is doing stuff that you want. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, my next guest um, is going to now have a go at whatever you come up with, Jasmine. Ooh. So have you got a, a word that you might want to pass on to and then uh, for the next guest to have a go at for 30 seconds? You got yeah. anything on the top of your head? Mine is snail. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, yes, yes. Excellent. You know, what? have we had snail? If we've had snail, I, I, I'm going to, I'll tell you what, I'm, this is going to blow my mind if we've had snail before. If we've had snail, I'll come up with another one. No, I tell you what, no, we haven't had the word snail. And that is the reason being is because um, I spoke to uh, Jessica Law, who um, is a is an artist and um, a musician and and done stuff about like bird conservation stuff like that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she did snail racing. Amazing. Um, but she but I, so I honestly thought she would come up with the word snail, but she didn't. She came up with the word glide for uh, Hillary Hunt to have a go at. So uh, so no, actually, we've not had snail before. Amazing snail well, it is. Yeah, and well, the, I've got two giant African land snails next to me. My baby. Oh, so that's what where that came from. Oh, um, so they are Elton John and Barry <laughs> Allen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, so what would be the snail version of uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road or something like that? Or um, brings a whole new meaning to Pinball Wizard, I tell you, if you're a snail. <laughs> I mean, that's why I named them that because Elton John is Rocket Man and Barry Allen is The Flash. So I was of like, course, yeah. They're slow. And people what? are like, Elton John's a cool name because Elton John and Barry, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's a good name for snail. I'm like, you missed the joke. What? <laughs> there are layers to this. Like, you are not getting this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, right. I know for a fact that people having listened to you are going to want to uh, connect with you. So 
uh, as I say, I've got your website in the show notes, but um, you're active on Twitter. So um, can you tell folks what your Twitter handle is, please? Which is a really lovely. I love your Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it's at Go Wild for Bees. And it's um, linking back to my roots, fighting for verges and wildflowers in London um, for pollinators. But yeah, Go Wild for Bees on Twitter, Wild Heart with a Camera on Instagram. Um, you've got you've got the website there, and I didn't yep. mention it before, but generally there's not really that much to say about it because it's just starting. But writing a book, um, yes, oh yeah, we didn't get to that, did we? I mean, that's a completely fine because I actually I don't even know how much I'm allowed to say about it, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, understand. Off and it's it, it will be on my socials at some point. I'll probably be raving about it, so that would be very cool if people. Oh would. yeah. Yeah, and um, most certainly. So, folks, look out for that, please. Um, and no doubt, when it get when it gets published, what we'll also do is um, we'll um, see if we can stick it on something called the uh, the reteach website, which is like a it's um, it's for teachers, for geography teachers, history teachers, and it's like recommended reading lists that they can use to improve their subject knowledge, but also to use as curriculum artifacts in class. And I absolutely love that. And I'm going to see if I can get get your your book in that, on that (laughs) reteach list. Right, folks. Um, Jasmine, I really, I could spend the whole day talking to you. You're such a wonderful human being. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Um, Please do stay in touch. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, there are, and what I would love for us one, to do one day, perhaps, uh, if if you're feeling up for it, is I would love to collaborate with you on some poetry. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. That's Even on sure. anything else as well, I would love to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, please do, you know, I'll keep thinking of you and please do think of me. And, uh, yeah, that would just be so amazing to, to do something with you. Because oh, I, just, I just feel so, you know, you've got that lovely feeling of, like, it's like social soul food mm-hmm. you know, yeah like, oh, yeah that warm inside. <laughs> thank oh, you so man. much oh thank you God. so much Jasmine. thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun if you haven't already done so please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app if you fancy being a guest or have any feedback follow us on twitter at coffee jog pod and send us a dm or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep jogging.